Folks, we have an incredible opportunity to do more for God than we've ever done. We can impact our community like we've never impacted our community. I'm so anxious for Brother Dave to cast his vision for the young people. I'm so anxious for you to hear it because one of the centerpiece parts of his vision is going to rope in our community, the youth of our community. And I'm just, I I can't wait to hear it. And I can't wait for you to hear it. But uh, there's an attitude, there's a mindset, there's a posture that I'm asking all of you folks to take going into next year. And that is to be a servant. Church, look, virtually everybody sitting on these pews tonight has heard the gospel enough times to save you for four eternities or a hundred eternities. It's time that we understand that our ultimate calling is to be a servant. And I'm going to mention some things tonight, and I want you to set up straight and lend me both ears and pay attention. Somebody said one time, I'm too poor to pay attention. Well, I'll give you attention on credit tonight. Amen. You can run your attention credit card tonight. I want to read tonight from John chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. This is Jesus. The Bible said, He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. I want to teach for a little while tonight to be a servant, to be a servant. I hope you don't condemn me for this, but something caught my attention in a restaurant several weeks ago. There was a television in the restaurant on ESPN. Um, and they were, they were talking about what is probably one of the National Football League's most prolific players. And I'm sure all of you have heard of him. Uh, his name is Peyton Manning. And uh, has just done things that, as a player that seemingly no one else has been able to do. But this season, they were saying in this documentary about this quarterback, probably one of the highest paid NFL football players in the league, uh, makes enough, uh, his salary is probably what most of us dream of. Um, and uh, they said this year the team he plays for has been stung really bad because of the way the National Football League works. It's called free agency. Uh, But they lost a lot of their very good receivers. A receiver is that position that the quarterback throws the ball to. And this year, uh, this documentary said that Peyton Manning is this incredible, famous quarterback that any team would just die to have would do anything to have has been plagued this year by having to play with rookies that is people who are not experienced in the National Football League and when I heard that it resonated with me that here is one of the most is one of the uh, top paid players 
the National Football League has a reputation that is unbelievable in football. Uh, does probably more commercials on TV, they said. There's companies that want to hire him just because of who he is to, to advertise their products. as one, the, one of the most used NFL football players for television commercials. Uh, huge guy. Y'all get the point. And he is throwing the football this season to receivers that have just graduated from college last year, have no experience. They don't really understand him. They don't have any chemistry with him. But yet this documentary said, it, it just kind of struck me uh, when, I, when I was watching this documentary, that he still plays as hard, as conscientious, first one at practice, last one to leave, knowing that when he gets there, the people that he's going to be throwing that football to to earn millions of dollars every Sunday is not going to be good enough to catch it. And I just found it interesting that they were, to me, portraying a man who was not playing for himself. He's not playing for his reputation, but he's playing for the team. Even though he knows he has subpar, underrated, inexperienced receivers, he's going to go out there and he's just not going to, all oh, fooey, I'm going to the sideline, I'm not even going to fool with this. He don't do that. He's going to throw the ball as accurate as he can. He's going to throw it as right as he can. As a matter of fact, because he knows of their inexperience, they said, he's going to try not to throw it quite so hard and try to watch them a little bit and run plays that actually they can run even though his level of playing is so far, so far above that. He was playing and he's played this season and they've not had a good season, they said. But he's played his heart out because he's playing for the team. And that's a mindset that I want our church to develop. And, and I may teach this Bible study again in the next couple of weeks because I want to catch everybody, all of our church people. John is the only gospel writer who tells this foot-washing story that Jesus did with his disciples the night before he was crucified. But it's interesting that John is the only one that tells this story. But Luke tells the discussion or the argument that led up to this foot washing service. Luke said that when the disciples gathered to participate in the Last Supper of Christ before he was crucified, when the disciples began to gather, they began to argue over who was the greatest in the kingdom. That's what I said. Who did that? Whoever it was, that, that was my response. <laughs> In Luke chapter 22, verse 24, this is the same occasion. This is the, the Last Supper. The Bible said there was also strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? The world defines greatness in terms of power, possessions, prestige, position. If you are able to demand service from others 
the world thinks you've arrived. And in our me-first culture, acting like a servant is not a very popular idea. But Jesus taught. Everybody say Jesus taught. Jesus taught, however, that to measure greatness is not in terms of status, but in terms of service. So God determines your greatness about how many people you serve, not how many people serve you. Everybody say amen. Did y'all catch that? Or I can rewind the tape and run it again if I need to. This is so contrary to the world's idea of greatness that the disciples had a hard time understanding it, let alone practicing it. They were jockeying, going to the Last Supper. Jesus had the burden of Calvary on his mind, and he's refereeing an argument between his disciples over who's the greatest. It's absurd. And if they were doing that 2,000 years ago, I don't think it's changed much since then, do you? You know, thousands of books have been written on leadership. But how many books have been written on servanthood? There are more than 750 halls of fame in the United States. 750 halls of fame. There's more than 450 who's who publications in the United States. One of the new phrases making the rounds in Christianity now, and I've heard this, I've heard this out of other churches that are doing this. They're calling people servant leaders. It's a new position in church. You're a servant leader. Well, what's wrong with just being a servant? Everybody say amen. To be like Jesus, the epitome of Christianity, to be like Jesus, to be a Christian is to be a servant. And that's how Jesus referred to himself. Let me tell you why anyone can be a servant. First of all, real servants simply make themselves available to serve. Everybody say available. Real servants simply make themselves available to serve. They don't fill up their time with other trivial pursuits that could limit their availability. If you only serve when it's convenient for you, then you're not a real servant. Living for the ministry and living for money are mutual exclusive goals. And if you're a servant of God, you can't moonlight for yourself at night. Are y'all listening or are we doing the mannequin practice thing again? I'm just curious. Let's notice 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. No man that warreth, or no man that wars, a soldier, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him 
to be a soldier. One translation said, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Let me illustrate this point. Brother Nixon, sitting here tonight, fought on the front lines of the Korean conflict. Most of you are aware of that. As a matter of fact, he has on a jacket tonight (coughs) uh, in honor of that. But I wonder, as if they were moving, they've they've just landed in in the southern tip of, of South Korea, what is South Korea now, in that peninsula, and they're moving up towards the 38th parallel, and I mean they're kicking doors in and they're they're chasing out the communists and all that kind of stuff, and 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 he he just he looks around at the commander and says, you know what, I need to take a break here for a minute. Let me go call my wife and I need to chat with her for a while and just see if you know everything is you know see if she's paid the house note. I wonder if the guys driving the tanks just stop right dead in the street and hopped out and said, yeah, I need to, I need to go check on something here. I'll be right. Y'all hang on a minute. I'll be right back. I thought about the Iraqi war that uh, we are involved in and ceasing to be involved in and so on. I wonder if those guys out in the middle of the desert at night just said, you know what, I don't feel like doing this stuff anymore. Y'all take over for me. I'm just tired and burnt out, and I don't feel good. Me on my back's hurting. You know, we was running across the desert today, and I slipped in the rut of a tank that went through there, and I've kind of twisted my ankle and what have you. If y'all would go ahead and take care of this, you know, the rest of this war, I'd appreciate it. Y'all getting the point? I never cease to be amazed at how people make strong levels of commitment to church and to church service and to the kingdom, but let something domestic, materialistic, conflict or blessing come up, and all of a sudden that commitment's out the window. It's it's like the guy operating the tank. (laughs) I had good intentions, but, you know, I just can't follow through on this stuff, man. You know, I, I need to go mow my grass. I'm going to have to catch the next, next plane out of here because I need to go home and paint my bedroom. It's quiet in here, but if we want the kind of church we say we want, somebody is going to have to make a commitment to service and to servitude. Everybody say amen. <clears throat> Number two as to why people can be a servant is that real servants simply pay attention to needs. Real servants pay attention to needs. They are always on the lookout for ways to help others. Notice, the Bible teaches. Some of you is going to be in conflict with this, but listen to the the pastor tonight. The Bible teaches that the needs of your church family are to be given preference not put at the bottom of your to-do list when you have time. Church families are to have our preference. They should be at the top of our list. Even your marriage and family are not eternal institutions, but the church is. So the church should be priority. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 before you disagree. Hang on a minute. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible said, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Everybody agrees with that. If you have an opportunity to do it, then I believe we should do good to all men. But then he said, especially, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. One translation said, whenever we have the opportunity, we have to do what is good for everyone, especially for the family of believers. The third thing about being a servant and why you can is that real servants simply do each task with equal dedication. The size, listen to pastor tonight, when you're working for God, the size or outward importance of the task is irrelevant. God never exempts us from the mundane or the menial because that's a crucial part of our character development as a servant. Nothing in service to the kingdom of God is beneath a servant's doing. Oh, Brother Murphy, I I used to do that kind of stuff 15, 20 years ago when I was new around the church. I'm kind of older and seasoned now, and, you know, that kind of stuff just beneath me. I've learned as a pastor that really nothing is beneath you anymore. I've cleaned toilets. I've changed toilet seats that I could count on one hand how many times I sat on. I could have said, hey, I never use a thing. Somebody wants to see it change, I ain't going there and change it. I was up here today, as a matter of fact, running the vacuum cleaner. Nothing is beneath a servant. Everybody say amen. All right. So real servants do each task with equal dedication. The Bible said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Whatsoever you do, don't matter what you're doing, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, another translation said, Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for the people. God is always more interested in why we do something than in what we're doing. God is more interested in why we do what we do instead of what we're doing. Attitudes always count more in the kingdom of God than achievement. Attitude is greater in the kingdom than achievement. Everybody say amen. Y'all on board with me tonight? I'm in the book. This is Bible. Let's talk about the mindset of a servant for a few minutes tonight. First of all, Servants think more about others than about themselves. Everybody say others. We don't think that way. It's about me. (laughs) Do y'all remember the video we played a few nights ago? It's all about me. It's all about me. I lift me on high, et cetera, et cetera. That's our attitude. It is. People take offense to that. They do. People don't like that. Uh, But it's true. You talk to the average church person, and bottom line, they are driven by their own needs and very rarely think of others. I know that as a pastor. 
people very rarely come to me because they're concerned about someone else. They concern, they, they come because they're concerned about them. And that's the way we're driven. That's our society. It's all, we live in an all about me society. But listen to me. Listen to pastor. True humility. Anybody ever heard the old fable about the person that stood and testified and said, I'm proud, I'm humble? Y'all ever heard that? I'm proud, I'm humble. True humility is not thinking less of ourselves. True humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. That's true humility. It's where others count first. Servants are not so forgetful. Servants are not so forgetful. Servants are self forgetful. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, lose your life. Put him first, put others first, and then yourself. Notice what the Bible said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It's putting others ahead of what you're doing. One translation said, Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. You can't be a servant. You cannot be a servant in the kingdom of God if you're full of yourself. Real servants don't use their service as a bargaining tool with God or with others. Have you ever thought sometimes that God, I have taught this Sunday school for years, this Sunday school class for years. Now, I'm entitled to the, a blessing. Or, God, I worked really hard up to church last Saturday. I mowed grass all day long. Now, God, you need to bless me for that. I want to tell you, in the church environment, in any environment, in any social environment, when a person develops an attitude of entitlement, you're headed for in trouble. When you start living as though the world or someone else owes you something, then you, you, you can't, you're going to be very badly misguided. You can't really go anywhere from there but down. <clears throat> but you sure can't have a, a spirit or an attitude of entitlement in the church that God owes me something or the church owes me something. Uh, the Bible teaches very strongly against that. And I often wonder, we're fixing to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, but I wonder <clears throat> when Paul penned these words, could he have been thinking about the humility of Christ before his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion, washing their feet when he wrote this. Notice in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you understand this was God? He didn't trumpet to anybody at the manger that you better, you people better be thankful I'm here because I'm God robed in flesh and you better be thankful for every minute I'm on this planet. And when I go to that cross and shed my blood, I want the whole world to be there bowing in front of me and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He didn't do that. That wasn't his posture. He came as a servant. If anybody had the right to have an attitude of entitlement, it was Christ. 
and he did not. <laughs> One translation said with verse 7, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. In other words, he completely devoided himself of the idea and notion that he was God. He just put that out of his mind, coming as a servant. So thinking like a servant is difficult because it challenges the basic problem of my life. And that is that by nature, I'm a very selfish person. One of the great earmarks of humanity is selfishness. Babies learn it. Noah is already running around saying, mine, mine. I'm like, no, it ain't. I have spanked that child so many times over that. <clears throat> Promise you, his mom and daddy has, and I don't like it. <clears throat> Close your ears, Noah. But we develop a very selfish attitude, I'm virtually at birth. It's all about me, and everything is mine. And don't take it away. I mean, I'll cry and pitch a fit if you take it away. So that's one of the, the, the huge basic problem we all wrestle with. <clears throat> and so we must choose dozens of times every day, many times a day, between meeting my own needs or the needs of others. Who's more important here? Our society says me. But the Bible said if you want your needs met, the best way to have your needs met is by helping meet the needs of others. And if you'll do that, then your needs will be met. Somebody say amen. Is that a foreign doctrine and theology to you people? It shouldn't be. It should not be. Here's, here's what we need to think about. Think about this statement. Listen to pastor. I can measure my servant's heart by how I respond when others treat me like a servant. So when people treat you like a servant and you take offense to it, then you're not a servant. If Jeff Arnold was here and made that statement, he would say, hello. I have to do that because Sister Murphy gets on me when I do that kind of stuff. But if brother or sister Joe Blow sitting in the congregation looks at you and says, would you go do da-da-da-da-da for me? And you look at them like they're crazy and you're thinking, get up and go do it yourself. You're not a servant. I'll never forget one time we was in Baker. I was on the platform in our Baker building, and Kyle Palmer was sitting in the sound booth. <clears throat> Got my attention. There wasn't but a handful of people in the building 30 minutes before church started. He said, Brother Murphy. I said, yes, sir. He said, come here. <laughs> I don't think so. You want me? You come here. First of all, you're younger, but I'm the pastor. You ain't going to tell me to come here, man. Who do you think you are? You come here. That wasn't my attitude. I walked back there. He's done it several times since. I think somebody finally talked. You need to quit doing that. You go get Brother Murphy or you go talk to him. Don't tell him to come here. But there was something at a, in a moment. It did. I'm being honest. It rose up on the inside. Who do you think you are? What would you do? Thank you for your honesty. Absolutely. I'll never forget we were in the what we call the White House, the Fellowship Hall in Baker, and uh, having some fellowship. I don't remember what the occasion was. And Sister Alexander got my attention. Brother Murphy, 
And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, come sit down right here. Yes, sir. I will be there as quickly as I can. I've never forgotten that. But that should be our attitude. It's not about who, what, when, and where, and how big, and how much, and how powerful, and who's who, and what's what. If we're needed as the people of God, we should be willing to serve with a good attitude and a good spirit. And for those of you that were here that night, I taught that Bible study about writing your name on your dishes. You're still doing it. Just thought I'd throw that in there for you. It's good measure. <coughs> Jesus said, y'all think I'm weird with this Bible study? I'm still in the book. Now, I'm backing everything I'm saying up with Scripture. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 41, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile... Tell them to go take a hike, you're busy. And I'll be there when I, can, when I get a chance. It's not what he said. You know what this scripture means? The Romans, the Roman soldiers specifically, would find these Jewish people working their heart out to pay tribute to Caesar, tax to Caesar, and the Roman soldiers lugged around all this armor and all this kind of stuff, and they'd make them stop what they were doing and come over here and just carry my stuff for me. And the Jews hated them for that. And from a human standpoint of view, I don't blame them. What's the matter with you, man? You can't carry it yourself. Can't you see I'm busy? And they did it for spite. They just did it because they could make the Jewish people do that. And Jesus said, when they ask you to do that, tell them, yes, sir, man, how far you'd want to go with it. And when you get there, say, are you sure this is where you want to stop? I'm willing to go on down the street with you. And the Jews looked at him like they had lost his mind, no doubt. But it's the attitude of a servant is what Jesus was saying. Uh, one translation said, If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice servant life. <coughs> it's true. You humbly submit. Boy, it's hard to eat humble pie, ain't it? It don't taste good. I don't care what you mix it with. It just don't taste good. It's where Jesus said, if someone smote you in the, on the cheek, what did he do? Say, roll your sleeve up and let them have it back. It's not what he said. He said, turn the other. It's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard. But I, I, can, I can assure you tonight that there's illustrations. I know that I can make this Bible study very lengthy. And I've got a little ways to go yet to be done at 8.30. <laughs> but I want you to understand tonight, if we want our church to grow, we have to understand the attitude and the posture of servanthood. Listen to me. Everybody in this that's going to be here Sunday is going to have a need. And you're going to hope and pray that Brother Bustard will call you out and say in Jesus' name, and you're going to be healed. You know, the greatest way to be healed is not to prefer yourself over someone else. God, there's someone across, just across the aisle over there. God, they need you. Move on him to speak to them. That's how you can be healed. Know nothing about it. Know nothing about it and he won't talk about it. All I know is a man walks with 
bribe the man of God and say, watch the fireballs out of heaven fall on your head. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Number two, servants think about their work. They think about what they're doing, not about what others are doing. God help us tonight in the name of Jesus. Servants are simply too busy working for the Lord to compare, to criticize, or compete with other people who are working for the Lord. In fact, competition between God's servants is illogical for many reasons. First of all, we are on the same team, are we not? I want to tell you something. I'm going to make a very bold and brash statement here. I hear all kind of stuff about area churches. I hear it all, all week long, hear all kind of stuff. When in the world is it going to occur to apostolic people that we're on the same team and we're trying to do the same thing? If that revelation could ever come to all apostolic people, I wonder what kind of revival we could have in this area, in this area, let alone in the state and in the country. I'm not competing with my fellow apostolic pastor down the street. And I don't want their people. They're welcome to come, and we've made all of that clear. But I'm not going after them. And I don't think my church is better than anybody else's church. We're the same bunch of sinner people that's been forgiven. I don't care what church you go to, how big or small it is, and who the pastor is behind the pulpit. I wish somewhere along the line somebody could get just a massive, huge revelation of that. Just be an awesome thing. If we could unify instead of fighting with each other, and I'm happy to tell you I don't fight. I'm not going to do it. And I have lunch with our area pastors as often as they will let me. There's, I don't want no walls or barriers and all that business. We're all on the same team. When we walk to this pulpit at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Sunday, there's pastors all around this area that's doing the exact same thing I'm doing. We're not the only float in the parade. And shame on any pastor. They'll get up and say from their pulpit that if you're going to be saved, you're going to have to do it in this church. It's the biggest bunch of malarkey I've ever heard in my life. Well, what about the poor missionary in Africa? He's wasting his time, man. Has the whole world got to come to your church to be saved? That's ridiculous. <clears throat> I'm meddling. But it needs to be said. And I mean it. Listen to Pastor. We have one objective at Grace, and it should be the objective of every church in this area. I don't care what denomination. We're here to make God look good, not ourselves. I thought somebody would be running the aisles by now. We're here to make God look good. You're still in hearing me. We're here to make God look good. That's why we're here. It ain't about me, and it ain't about you. It's about his kingdom. And if we could become more kingdom-minded, I could talk about that for a long time. And in this big picture of what we refer to as the kingdom, I hesitate to sometimes even call it the church. Uh, there's something wrong with the ring of that for some reason. It's the kingdom of God. That's the Holy Ghost. It's the kingdom of God shed abroad in your heart. <coughs> In this massive kingdom, every one of us has been given different assignments. We can't all be the youth pastor. We all can't be a Sunday school teacher. 
And whether you like it or not, everybody can't sing. And some of you that think you can, can't. And you need to understand and just accept, accept the reality. Just keep singing on a hill far away. But we all have been given unique assignments by God. Why can't we be happy and contented that we're serving God in the assignment that God has given us? I want to tell you, there's, there's somebody sitting in this building right now that makes our services just absolutely incredible and you never see him. As a matter of fact, tonight when he showed up, you wouldn't even recognize him. I told Brent before church tonight, I said, you hit it out of the park Sunday, man. We had a lot of stuff going on musically, and y'all, most people don't understand the mix. You have to do on a soundboard to make somebody sound good. And he sits back there for, to, to try to make everybody that comes to this pulpit or that's holding the microphone sound good. He's worked hard so that nobody complains about the drums. I'm anxious now for somebody to walk up and say, we can't even hear them. I'd shout. Why? Because people have complained forever that they're too loud. It'd just be nice to hear it the other way around for a change. And in that thing, you can't hardly hear. I can't hardly hear him anymore. <clears throat> but he's doing a great job. And he's kingdom-minded. He ain't up there for a, a bow in his bonnet. He's not up there for an attaboy and a pat on the back. I've never discerned that with Brent. He, he, he just wants to work in the kingdom, and he's found him a talent and ability, and he's given it to God, and I appreciate it. I hope you do. I think he's doing a great job. Love to brag on our church people. The Bible said, Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. One translation said, we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We don't do that. We don't do that here at Grace. Everybody say amen. amen. I'm as serious tonight as I can be. I mean this Bible study. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. And each of us, this translation said, is an original. There's no one else like you. And if you don't follow the calling that God has put on your life, then no one else is going to do it. And quit trying to be someone else. Be yourself and be happy in your own skin. You're being made every day into the image of God. Be happy about that. When we're busy serving, you don't have time to be critical. Any time spent criticizing others is time that could have been spent ministering to others. Real servants do not complain of unfairness. Real servants don't resent those not serving. And they don't try to evaluate the master's other servants. That's because servants see ministry as an opportunity, not as an obligation. <clears throat> and the Bible said, Paul said in the book of Romans 14, 4, Who art thou that judges another man's servant? Who do you think you are that you judge another man's servant? To his own master. He standeth or falleth, yea, he hath... Be, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. We're not into who's who and what's what and who's doing this and who's doing that and who could do it better and who, who, who's not doing a very good job. We're not into that. Everybody serves to the best of their ability, and we're thankful for that. And everybody say amen. 
Servants base their identity in Jesus Christ. They base their identity in Jesus Christ because they remember that they are loved and accepted by grace. Not the church grace, God's attribute grace. They are loved and accepted by grace. Servants don't have to prove their worth to anyone else or jockey for positions that put them in a good light. They willingly accept jobs that insecure people would consider beneath them. That's why Jesus' example to his disciples was so profound. Washing someone's feet was the equivalent of being a shoeshine boy, a job devoid of any status whatsoever. But Jesus knew who he was, so the task did not threaten his self-image. Let's look at John 13, verses 3 through 5 again, and I'm just about done. Jesus knowing, everybody say knowing, that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and that he went to God. Do you need any more security blanket than that? I know who I am. And I don't have to feel so insecure around anybody. Knowing that, in verse 3, verse 4, he rises from supper, he laid aside his garment, he took a towel and girded himself. And after he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. I don't want to get explicit and don't anybody go away with this. But the Bible said, and my understanding, the man literally stripped down naked in front of his disciples, girded himself with a towel, poured water, washed their feet, took that towel off naked again, and he wiped their feet with that towel. Anybody here tonight better than Jesus? Nothing for the kingdom should be beneath us. Ever. And if we want our church to grow, I'm building to a climax. Y'all don't know what that is. But you're going to see in just a minute. The poet said, His were the planets and stars in the sky. His were the valleys and mountains so high. His all earth's riches from pole unto pole. Yet he became poor to ransom my soul. Insecure people are always worrying about how they appear to others. They fear exposure of their weaknesses and hide beneath layers of protective pride. The more insecure you are, the more you will want people to serve you. But when you base your identity on your relationship with God, that's what allows you to serve others the best. And the closer you get to Jesus, the less you need to promote yourself and the less you need your preferences validated. I want you to notice, Hannah, you don't have these scriptures, don't worry about it, but notice Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant of Jesus Christ. James 1.1, James, a servant of God. Jude 1.1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ unto his servant John to be a servant, to serve. The disciples most likely would have been happy to wash Jesus' feet. Listen to pastor right now. They would have been happy to wash his feet, 
but they could not conceive of washing each other's feet because that was a task reserved for the lowliest of servants. And while they all loved Jesus, they did not love each other that much. Now here's my climax. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's not a person in this building tonight, I don't believe, that would refuse the opportunity to wash the feet of Christ, but would you wash the feet of the person sitting next to you? Jesus said, when you have done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Jesus said in John 13, 14, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you should also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, the Bible said, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. And at the very end, for all of the positions that we hold, let me start at the General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. Amy tickles me every time she refers to him. I've known him all of my life. We're out of the same church. David Bernard. As a matter of fact, Sister Murphy went out on a couple of dates with him before we were married. <coughs> Thought I could better clarify that. I've known Brother and Sister Elton Bernard all of my life. There's relatives of theirs that visits this church periodically. When it's all said and done, when we all come to the very end of it all, and you stand in that heavenly throne room, it doesn't matter who you were here. From general superintendent to pastor, to greeter in the lobby, to the sweet people that clean our church, it doesn't matter because when we all stand before him in Revelation 22 and 3, Hannah put it on the screen. Revelation 22 and 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. It's not going to be ushers and greeters. It's not going to be praise team singers. It's not going to be drummers and musicians. It's not going to be pastors and superintendents and presbyters. It's going to be servants, 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 servants. And we will have the mindset of the servant there. And I believe if you're going to have it there, you might as well start practicing it here. <coughs> so when guests come to our church, don't matter who they are, you listen to pastor tonight. No, God did not die and make anybody here tonight judge. He did not make anybody here tonight a judge. You may know them. As a matter of fact, you may know them so well that maybe they've done something bad wrong to you. You get up as a servant. 
and you warmly and kindly shake their hand and tell them I'm glad you're here. Can I serve you in any way? This isn't a pat on the back and good for you pastor kind of moment and you can judge me however you will. But there's a man that I know and I know him very well. As a matter of fact, I was very instrumental in him being, in him serving God today. He did me wrong, man. <laughs> I don't care how you slice it. He did me wrong. The first time I saw him after that occasion, I went and shook his hand and hugged his neck and told him I loved him. I wasn't trying to be super spiritual. I meant it. Just because he did me wrong didn't mean I didn't care about him. I still loved him. would still like to sit down with him if he would. Now let's talk about it. Let's work it out. Don't you remember there's two byproducts to forgiveness? It's first of all, there's reconciliation. That's where you can get in the same room in the company of people and be civil. People have done you very bad. You can get around them when you've forgiven them. You'll let them come around you, and you're civil towards them. It's reconciliation. It's step one. Step two is restoration, and that's when you forgive them to the point that you allow them the opportunity to rebuild their reputation in your sight. You allow them to do that. I want that to happen between me and this man, and it bothers me every single day that it hasn't, and it's his choosing. Tried and tried to reach out to him. I don't come to you tonight with that illustration. I'm very hesitant to even mention it. I'm not trying to be super spiritual or a hero. I don't want a blue medal and a pat on the back and an attaboy. But I'm just trying to say that sometimes the role of servanthood exceeds your feelings and you do the right thing based on kingdom concepts in lieu of doing the wrong thing based on humanistic concept. It's the ultimate of Christianity. Don't forget. Stand with me. Don't forget. In this context, in this context, read your Bible. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. The backbiting needs to stop criticism, the judgmentalism, pronouncing curses on people and all that business. That needs to stop, man. If we're not careful, remember I said a little while ago, we're here to make God look good. If we're not careful, you may find someone else can do a better job than we are. Don't anybody tonight think that we've got God painted in a corner? I don't care what we know. God don't owe us anything beyond what he's already given. We have to understand the role of servanthood. We're here to serve one another. Somebody say amen. If you're struggling along that line, do some praying and fasting. Break down carnality through fasting. Break it down and let God rebuild you in his image. We're here to serve. Not here to be slaves but we're here to serve. Servants, 
It's a difference. Servants serve with being distinguished and with honor. They understand that. So let's be a service to our community, but more than that, let's be a servant to God. Let him use you in whatever capacity he wants to. Everybody say amen. Let's lift our hands on this last Wednesday night of 2010. Let's ask God to help us for a moment, shall we? Everybody pray right now. God, I pray tonight that you would speak to the heart of this church. You brought us to an awesome place, and we're not here jockeying for position or territory. We're not here for fame and fortune. (coughs) We're not here to be patted on the back and complimented and praised. We're here tonight to serve the best interest of the kingdom. We're here to make you look good in our community. We're here to serve you to the best of our ability. We're here, God, to do what we're asked to do and to do it with all of our heart. We're here tonight, God, to give to you and to surrender to you our minds, our hearts, and our spirit. And I pray, God, that you would speak to grace tonight. We're not competing. We're not trying to be better than anybody else. We're just trying to serve you in the best capacity that we can. And the, the least amount of us that shows through and the more of you that shows through, the better it is. And that's what we're all trying to do. I pray, God, that you would embrace this church as we enter into a new year, to a new era, where we're going to do things as a church. We're going to get more involved in the community. and We're going to put ourselves out there. God, help us to go there as a servant. We're not here to elevate grace. We're not here to elevate ourselves. We're not here to show everybody what we can do. We're here to show everybody what you can do. And help us, God, to develop the heart and the mind of a true servant that we're willing to serve in any capacity that we can, putting ourselves aside for the benefit of the kingdom, understanding that if we give ourselves to the cause of the kingdom, then all of our needs will be met. God, help us to understand these things. Bless our church. Bless our efforts. And help us, God, to be more and more like you every single day. We ask it in the lovely name of Jesus. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. God bless you so very much. I want to ask you just to walk around the building, shake hands, and hug somebody's neck. Just tell them how much you love them.